Hey, this is Zena Jones, and you are listening to the Brave AF podcast, where we talk about all things mindset, having your own back, and doing brave shit. Hello, my friends. So today we are talking about midlife and sleep. So recently, I'm age 36 for context, but recently when I was diagnosed with ADHD, I found out that it's very common for women in my age group, 36 to 38, because it's when our hormones start to change slowly or sometimes more rapidly, perhaps. But as we enter into perimenopause now, I don't know about you, but I didn't know that it could happen that early. I thought that this was something that happened um, in your 40s and 50s. So hence that is part of the reason and we'll talk about that that this episode came about but also because I feel like there is not a lot of conversation necessarily being had about the perimenopause menopause midlife chapter area of our life and also the sleep impacts as well so I have got an incredible conversation with my friend and colleague Janet Whalen and we recorded it and we're sharing it with you all so here's a little bit about Janet so Janet Whalen is a sleep and self-care coach for midlife women and mums a former insomniac turned great sleeper Janet is passionate about helping women give themselves permission to sleep rest and care for themselves after years of giving everything to family and to others. Janet's membership coaching program is called Permission to Sleep and it helps her members sleep better in eight eight weeks or less without pills, potions or needing anyone's permission but their own. So Janet is a certified life coach with the Life Coach School and was formally trained at CTI as a co-active coach. She is also a certified CBT-I all that means, (laughs) practitioner, before she found her own sleep solution, she spent years as a marketer, family photographer, and guys, I've seen her photos, and they're pretty magic, and a stay-at-home mum to her two sons, who are now young adults. So that's a little bit about my guest, Janet, and we're going to dive into it, and guys, I learned so much through our conversation. This is some good stuff. Enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Brave AF podcast. We have got one of my friends and colleagues here with us today. We've got such a treat and this is going to be an incredible conversation because before we hit record, I was getting very excited about our conversation and we had to stop (laughs) so we could share it with all of you. (laughs) So please join me in welcoming my friend Janet Whalen to the Brave AF podcast. Please tell us who you are, where you are and all the things. Thank you so much, Sina. I love that we're getting around to doing this because I think, yeah, your audience needs to hear this. Just the fact that, well, we'll get to it. Like like (laughs) Sina said, we've already been having this podcast before we record. Okay. So yeah, I'm Janet Whalen. I am a sleep coach for midlife women. I live in Ontario, Canada. Um, I have I've been a sleep coach for a couple of years now, actually, but before that I was a business coach. So I've been in coaching for six or seven years and, um, the tools that I use with my clients in my program are sort of a spinoff on some tools that I used on myself when I was getting certified as a life coach to fix my own insomnia, because I was an insomniac for like 40 years. (laughs) I tell people on and off. Um, and so You know, I think sometimes when coaches say, well, if I can do it, so can you sounds a little trite, but there is some truth to that too. Like I really, really struggled with this. And I really firmly believe that I was stuck with this problem for the rest of my life, that I was just one of those. Well, I'll tell you, my thought about sleep was sleep is for chumps. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I fully believed. I started thinking, I'm a special person who doesn't need to waste waste a third of my life in bed. All those other people who like to sleep all the time just don't know that they're wasting their time. This is how yeah. a lot of insomniacs think, right? So yeah, I've completely done a 180 on that. And that's what we're here to talk about. Oh, I'm so excited to dive in because my thought right now, and this could change, but right <laughs> now my, my thought is I love to sleep and I used to be a really good sleeper. And I think that that for the most part is true, 
but we're kind of going to possibly get into why I'm kind of challenging and having some yeah. issues with that thought right now. So anyway, let's t- let's tell everyone about how this came about. So I wanted us to have this conversation for a couple of reasons. So firstly, many of the women that I work with, that I coach are in midlife and during our conversations and our coaching, of course, that is something that comes up. We will talk about menopause or perimenopause and how that's impacting their lives. But also what I discovered at the end of last year, I was diagnosed with ADHD and I heard from my psychiatrist that the majority of women are being diagnosed during the the age range of 36 to 38 and I'm 36 and that is because it is when we begin to enter into perimenopause I was like what (laughs) are you for real I honestly thought that this was something I wouldn't be hearing for another 10 years. So I was pretty shocked. Now, I had already started doing a bunch of research because when my clients started talking about menopause and perimenopause, I didn't know a lot about it. And I thought for myself and for them, it would really benefit me in getting educated. So I'd started learning a little bit more about it. And I really think, and this is something we were talking about before we hit record, I think it's something that up until kind of recently hasn't necessarily been that well talked about we educate you know girls about getting their periods and entering into that phase of their life but we don't educate women about this Mm -hmm. we are here having this conversation (laughs) it's important yeah so first of all do you mind sharing with everyone how old you are what's your age not at all I am 53 perfect And you just said before you haven't gone through menopause. Is that what you said to me? I have not. Nope. Still in perimenopause. And really I can track that back to when I was about 39 or 40, I started having hot flashes and, you know, I can't track my trouble sleeping to it because I can remember having trouble sleeping even as a child. So, so for me, it really was kind of unrelated. Although that's not really true either. I can, I can tell certain times of my cycle, I know I'm maybe going to have a harder time sleeping. Um, and and that's an important thing that maybe we want to come back to. But just the idea that, yes, there are times in our lives where sleep won't be as easy, but that doesn't mean we have to just sort of assume the position or assume the identity of the chronic insomniac, right? Yeah. Uh, it, one thing doesn't equal the other. Yeah. Okay, let's start out with what age is considered midlife. And you see yeah, if we could we could talk about this for a while. <laughs> we probably could. And it's I have this conversation with a lot of people when they say, Well, I don't know. Like, do you work with me? I don't know if I'm a midlife woman. I'm 35, or I don't know if I'm a midlife woman. I'm 55. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just a mindset, right? It's a bit of yeah. um, I think we can define it in a few ways. One is probably you're at least perimenopausal, um, Mm. or later, um, sort of family dynamics and family life stage, I think is a little piece of this. Like maybe if you have children, they are, you know, early teens to just moving out of the house. Um, you could sort of define it by where you are in your career. Uh, but I don't think there's any sort of agreement amongst Mm. any group of people, (laughs) what that really means when you think about it like really the definition should be like half of the sort of accepted life range right like if if we are gonna live till we're say somewhere between 76 and 80 what's half of that but I don't think people I know lots of 50 and mid 50 year olds who call themselves midlife even though we're probably not going to live to 110 yeah (laughs) yeah it's 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 funny because I was thinking about what I had considered midlife when I asked you or or let you know I was going to ask that question and I hadn't considered myself in that category yet I in my brain I was thinking I'm probably in my 40s that's when I will start to kind of think of myself in that way yeah I think that's what I did too it was probably around when I was turning 40 ish yeah that I considered that identifier yeah yeah so what are some of the changes or challenges that we can experience during this time in our life well there's the hormonal ones obviously that you mentioned Mm -hmm. um and 
I think we're all shocked to find out. And to, to your point, like we really need to be talking about this <laughs> more. I follow a, a Canadian doctor. She works in the US. Her name's Dr. Jen Gunter, and she's written a bunch of books about this. She has one that I think it's called The Menopause Bible. That's really great. She's okay. very open, <clears throat> talks about every she's an obstetrician gynecologist she just mm -hmm. everything that women need to know so if you're looking for somebody to follow i think she's a great follow um but we're surprised to find out that perimenopause can last like a super long time like a decade or longer right yeah. menopause is really just like not having had a period for a year Yes. So we tend to talk about menopause as this sort of long lasting thing, but that's really perimenopause. Mm -hmm. um, menopause is just what happens after that year or postmenopausal. Um, but during that time, our hormones can be kind of starting to go all over the map, right? Like your estrogen might be dropping, same with progesterone. Um, both of these are somewhat tied to sleep because they're related to, um, GABA, a neurotransmitter that is sort of like a relaxation one. So if uh, one of those is low, GABA can be low. Um, but there's also suggestion that maybe, and, and I'm just going to put a huge caveat on this and say, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a hormone expert. This is just things that I've read in my training with a few different psychologists who, who train in CBTI, which is cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Um, because we know there are hormones that like sleep is, is, um, sleep is related to light, your body temperature and hormones, right? One of okay. which is melatonin. Melatonin also has a connection to estrogen. So when your estrogen is dropping and, and after menopause, it's, it's possible you have a little bit less melatonin in your body too. That doesn't mean you should be scrambling out to take a melatonin supplement, but it, it's just helpful to know what's happening in your body so that you can make sense of these things, right? And to not always be thinking, oh my gosh, there must be something wrong with me. I need to fix this, right? We know that more effort to sleep actually causes more insomnia. The less we think about it, the less we worry about it, the less we obsess about it, the easier it is for it to happen. And so obsessing about our health, obsessing about our sleep, the, this idea that there must be something wrong with us really does lead to more sleep problems. So I think the more you can arm yourself with this information for things that might be happening to you, like you were saying, right, we need to talk about this more, the, the more we can just kind of calm down and go, oh, this is normal. Amazing. Like yeah. maybe it's just something that's going to happen and I might notice it from time to time. And sometimes it's going to be more uncomfortable than others, but it doesn't mean I'm dying. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with me or that I have, there's something I need to fix or solve. Yeah. And it's funny you say that because I think in, in hindsight, now looking back at my experience, I went to the doctor a number of times saying, I think there is something wrong with my Mirena, my, is it an IUD? I don't know what they're called universally, but my form of birth control, I think there's something wrong with it because this should last for five years and I'm experiencing crazy hormonal fluctuations and moodiness and I'm all over the place. And I had it checked and I had a, you know, I had a, a really great consultation with a hormone specialist and she was fantastic. And she said, no, 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 you're good. But at no stage did she actually say to me, you could be entering into perimenopause. This could be something that you're experiencing. Nobody said that. The doctor didn't say that. This, you know, this woman didn't say that. It, it was fascinating. It wasn't until I went to get my ADHD diagnosis from the psychiatrist that she was like, yeah, super common happens all the time I was like but but who was going to tell yeah. me that I didn't know that <laughs> yeah you know just supposed to know yeah like and yeah. these are really common things it's the hot flushes which I haven't yet had hot flushes changes to sleep or disruption to sleep the moodiness is really common and the hormonal fluctuations and changes and I had two out of four of those and yet I didn't know I had no idea that this could be why yeah. I, mm -hmm. Depression and anxiety is another one. And I, mm -hmm. and I don't say that to scare anyone who, you know, might be heading towards that stage of life. It doesn't, you know, apparently happen to, it's not even most women that will experience that, but a lot of women do. And so mm -hmm. if it does happen to you, it's something to ask your doctor about, right? Because it might yeah. be connected. 
Um, and, and depression and anxiety are also connected with like, they can cause insomnia and they can make insomnia worse. So you don't, it's, it's a bit of a chicken and an egg scenario where if you're not sleeping really well, that can exacerbate depression and insomnia and they can cause insomnia. So like, which is, which came first, who knows, mm -hmm. it might not even be that important to know, but it's important to know that if you work on relieving those symptoms, you can help relieve your sleep. And same with any of these other symptoms that we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Hot flashes, all of it. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the sleep because it's so funny when we were talking before we hit record and you were saying that we often do things that don't necessarily support our sleep. And I was like, uh Oh, I think I might've done that. So <laughs> last night I, and normally like I'm a really good sleeper, but last night we turned the lights out. It was like, it was 10 30 and I used to go to sleep pretty early. I would say nine, nine 30, I'd have lights out. But last night I read for ages didn't feel like sleeping, turned the light out, tried to sleep, staring at the ceiling. And I opened the melatonin and took a couple of pills. <laughs> so yeah, let's and go from there. It probably <laughs> didn't do anything. <laughs> I don't know. I think it, it could be a mindset thing. But for me, I was like, I've taken the pills, I'm going to sleep. I've taken the pills, I'm going to sleep. And I really focused because my brain at this stage, what was happening is my brain was thinking about all these things and trying to solve all these problems and come up with all these ideas. And it was super busy. And I was like, yeah. I don't know, this isn't helping me. So I'm just going to focus on my breath and I'm just going to slow down and I'm just going to think about my cats or something joyful yeah. that takes me away from trying to problem solve and think about you know, busy things in my head. So you did the exact right thing with that okay. part of it. Yes. <laughs> the first part of it we can work on. Okay. <laughs> so Thank you. When you, so there's several things happening there. Um, I, I'll start with a bit of a list of a few things that people do, and then we can come back to your cool. evening. Um, there's quite a long list of things that people do that they think are going to help them sleep that actually make insomnia worse. And these are called perpetuating factors in the sleep world, uh, things that perpetuate their insomnia, right? Things that we think we're doing to improve something, but really make it worse. And if you're someone who struggles with anxiety, you might be kind of familiar with this type of idea where you, you develop like crutches and habits that make your anxiety feel better. <clears throat> like, you know, checking if you lock the doors, um, things like that, but it's not really supporting your ability to get past the anxiety, right? Because you're just going to do the same thing the next night. So this is sort of similar. We do things like going to bed too early. <laughs> most people don't, <laughs> most people probably spend far too much time in bed. Um, staying in bed longer, like thinking, oh, I want eight hours. So I'm going to spend nine or 10 hours in bed to try and get, make sure I get those eight hours that actually can perpetuate insomnia. And I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, what else do we have sleeping in on weekends? We tend to think that this is, and I mean, societally, this is totally supported. It's no wonder we think this we're, we're taught it's a treat, right? That this is a gift that we're giving ourselves like, Oh, thank God. I don't have anything to do this weekend. I can sleep in, but you are, it, what you're doing to your circadian rhythm when you do that is forcing it into like a version of jet lag. So let's say you sleep in, let's say you have a very consistent sleep schedule Monday to Friday, and then Saturday and Sunday, you sleep in two hours longer than you normally do. I, unless you're a very good sleeper and you never worry about this kind of thing. And if you are, please stop listening because you shouldn't change a thing. Mm -hmm. But if you're someone who struggles and gets like Sunday night insomnia, it's probably because of your sleeping in on Saturday. We need to be awake for 16 hours every day. Okay. We have a sleep cycle and a wakefulness cycle. The wakefulness cycle needs to be about 16 hours in order for your body to go, oh, it's time for me to now get into my rest phase, right? And it's clued in by that, by the light outside, which tells your body to start creating melatonin and stop creating cortisol. <clears throat> and, and it says, okay, now we're going to enter this eight hours of sleep phase. Well, if you've only been awake for 
12 or 14 hours because you slept in, you're not anywhere near ready to go to sleep yet. Your body is not prepared for that. It's not going to cooperate. Mm -hmm. So to have a very consistent sleep schedule, which some people, you know, (laughs) really push hard against because they think they like to be spontaneous and they don't want to live according to a schedule, they're, they're going to struggle. Um, because you're just fighting your biology. So it's it's like getting on a plane and traveling to two time zones every time oh, you sleep in for two hours. Right. Yeah, it's That's a great what you your body. Yeah. Yeah. So um another one is alcohol or melatonin or anything <laughs> that we perceive as a sleep aid. Melatonin is a hormone that helps your body um know that it's time to kind of wind down for the night. It's like the signal for your sleep phase to begin. It is not a sleeping pill. It's not even intended for that. And it won't work that way. And so, but here's what happened to you last night. If it was like your melatonin probably started kicking in earlier than that, it was already in your body. So the fact that your mind was racing is what was keeping you awake. Not that you didn't have enough melatonin. Mm. that makes a lot of sense that actually does make quite a lot of sense because my mind was so busy and normally it's not like normally I'm I wind down I read for a bit I get quite sleepy and I'm I'm out really quick but last night my mind was busy and in reflection I actually watched something I was watching this training that I was very curious to learn about and I was watching it (laughs) for a good couple of hours before I actually started reading and like I was very focused on that and then I went straight into the reading and I didn't necessarily have like what I would call a wind down period yes and that's really important we have to think about sleep as a dimmer switch not an on off switch Mm. that's a really good visual the dimmer switch we can't actually expect our body to just jump from one thing to the next, especially like with your example, if you were, your brain was actively engaged in some Mm. form of learning or, you know, people tend to, maybe they watch the news as the last thing that they do before they get ready for bed, or maybe they have a challenging conversation with a partner or kids or whatever. And then they expect that they should be able to just get in bed and fall asleep when their head hits the pillow. First of all, that's a misnomer. Like anywhere between 15 minutes and 30 minutes is, is considered sort of normal time to fall asleep, right? If we're falling asleep every single night when our head hits the pillow, maybe we're not getting enough sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, but we really do have to have a wind down period and that needs to be some, and that's like a gift that we need to give ourselves. And for women in particular, especially midlife women, and this goes back to your initial question (laughs) around, you know, why is this sort of a problem for us? We tend to be in this sort of sandwich generation, right? Where we might have aging parents and we have kids who are Um, demanding our time and we might have a job and partners and all kinds of stuff going on. And we're just not used to taking the time to commit time in our schedule for ourselves. And then we think we can just push, 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 and then fall in bed and, and we should be able to fall asleep, but it doesn't work that way. So your, your example last night was the reading is good. The reading could be considered wind down, but as soon as your brain started um, racing like that and you're staring at the ceiling, what I tell people, and this is, we get into this in my program, but um, as soon as you, you start getting frustrated in your bed, that's the time, the cue to get out and go somewhere else. Because what happens when we spend too much time in bed awake and frustrated is we're conditioning our brain to see our bed as a place where we lie awake frustrated, not as a place where we actually sleep, right? Yeah, that's interesting. So we want to take, we want to remove all the frustration, all the bad feelings, all the anxiety from our bedroom and put that somewhere else in our house until we notice we're drowsy enough to go back in bed and fall asleep. I'm curious about something you said a little while back about how we spend too much time in bed. And I think that I may be in that category and I can, I can see a lot of people I know in that category where like we go and we just hang out in bed. Like I go upstairs to bed at like eight o'clock and just, you know, chill out, maybe watch some Netflix with my partner, like play with the cats, read a book, 
play on yeah. my phone in bed. You know, like, <laughs> so we can talk about that one too. <laughs> like, uh-oh. But, you know, things like that. And I think that that is what I'm calling my wind down period. So it's interesting to hear you say, like, there is that dimmer switch that we want to turn on, but we also don't want to spend too much time in bed. Can you elaborate on that and what that looks like? Yeah. So I'll start off by just reiterating what I said a few minutes ago, which is if you can do that and sleep well, don't stop doing that. Right. Like I would never advocate for somebody to undo all of their habits and find a bunch of new ones if they are already good sleepers. So everything that I'm suggesting is for people who are struggling with good sleep and might consider themselves an insomniac. So that said, um, what happens when you're, it's just what I was saying before, when you're doing a lot of different activities in your bed, besides sleeping, you are conditioning your brain to not think of your bed as a place where you sleep. It's Mm -hmm. where I do this. It's where I answer emails. It's where I talk to my partner. It's where I watch TV. It's where I scroll on my phone and get stressed out about the state of the world. It's where, right. (laughs) So, um, some people can kind of lounge around and spend time in their bed when they have a really supportive mindset about that. And they're like, Oh, my bed is amazing. I love my bed and whatever. But as soon as I start hearing someone complaining about their sleep and saying, I'm in there with my laptop all the time because it's comfortable and I like to work in my bed, I know that you probably have a problem (laughs) and it's, Mm -hmm. it's not what you want to do. And this is when we get to talking about, um, having your cell phone being used as a sleep aid, which is another one of the things that we do that we think is probably calming us down, but is really doing the opposite. We hear a lot about how the blue light from our phones is keeping us awake because it's signaling to our brain that blue light mimics daylight and it tells your brain to shut down melatonin, right? That's probably not the biggest worry because you already have melatonin probably coursing through your body because it's past your bedtime, right? That already happened in the evening. Um, The real problem is what you're doing on your phone. The real problem is that you're stimulating your brain. You're doing things like reading the news or doing some work or reading Twitter, which is never a fun activity (laughs) if you're someone who's on there a lot. (laughs) And your brain starts to A, it could be starting to make decisions, right? There's all Mm -hmm. kinds of buttons to push and there's like, oh, somebody wants me to buy something and now I got to go read this article and I got, oh, where was I before? And I got to go back and having to make decisions like that is really stressful for your brain. It uses a lot of energy and it just keeps you awake. It keeps your brain active and engaged. And it's just not what we want to be doing when we're in our bed. So If you are someone who struggles with that, I really suggest that your bed is for sleep and sex only and every other activity happens somewhere else in your house. Yeah. Oh, that makes so much sense to me. And that made me think of a program I did of yours. I think it was a 30 day program to cut your (laughs) cell phone usage or was that it was to keep it was to not use it as a sleep aid basically because that's what people do yeah yeah (laughs) yeah and that was very good like I learned so much in that program yeah oh good I'm glad yeah Yeah, it's called the 30-day digital diet I still I still offer that one so yeah yeah okay let's switch gears a little bit because one of the things you Mm -hmm. mentioned was how midlife is a time we tend to start reconsidering our family or societal roles as women and yeah. how expectations create stress that, again, can keep us awake. So let's talk a little bit about that. Because you started talking about it before when you were talking about the sandwich generation, which is something I had not heard of before. <laughs> but I want to hear more. Let's talk about that. Yeah. And I like I want to be careful that I'm not just talking about biological parents and children, right? Like, you know, in situations where you might be a step parent, like you've got mm-hmm. entirely different um, stressors around parenting than maybe I do. Right. Um, but yeah, this generation where aging parents start to need more care, start to need, um, help with decision-making, they might be having dementia. You might be having to like help them manage themselves. Maybe one of your parents has died and the other one just needs a lot of extra help. It's, it becomes really stressful. And I don't want to suggest that your parent becomes like another kid, but it becomes a new responsibility that you're not used to having. Yeah. 
right? Mm -hmm. And so then you still have the responsibilities of your own children <laughs> or your own job or your pets or your house or whatever it is that, you know, exists in your world that you thought mm -hmm. as an adult, this is all I'm going to be responsible for. And now suddenly I have these other responsibilities too. And you're constantly being pulled in different directions. It, and most of us are, I'll say too busy most of the time anyway, and are not giving ourselves um, enough self-care time. Um, and so being in that age group is really challenging for a lot of people. We, we tend to also start thinking like, it's always going to be like this. It's never going to mm -hmm. change. There's nothing I can do about it. And then we, that just pulls us into this sort of sense of like, I'm a victim. I, I can't control, I can't impact my own life. Right. So it's a really challenging yeah. time for a lot of women. And I think a lot of women also take on that role with their partner's parents, right? If they're mm -hmm. in a heterosexual relationship and their partner is a man, a lot of men of a certain age are not used to the caregiver role. And so the woman <laughs> yeah. takes on that role and it's, yeah. So you have to really be intentional with how do you want your life to look and what caregiver roles do you want to take on and what will they look like and what feels good to you? And when you start noticing sort of murdery kind of thoughts mm -hmm. those are maybe a place that you want to do some work and get some coaching because that can do a real number and this your... is when I see so many women come to coaching and I think that's why some yeah. of the women I work with you know are perhaps in this particular period of their of their life is when they are you know perhaps it, it could be with kids leaving home or, uh -huh. you know, considering retirement, or it is so many pressures, you know, wanting to leave marriages, like they're starting to make changes because they're not happy yeah. where they are and starting to question, you know, all the things in their life, really. Yeah. yeah and I, I don't even think it's always that they're not happy where they are. It's that where they are is not what they expected it to look like. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. it's sort of like, oh, this is what it is. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's not what I thought kind this of like the perimenopause conversation yeah. um and like even even work stress right you know we we might think you know by the time you're in midlife you might be in a more senior role and you might think like that could come with some confidence right because you've been in your career for a certain length of time and now people are looking to you for answers and you know you're the expert but you probably are also responsible for more people or more money or more results at that time as well. And that carries stress. So mm -hmm. there's just a lot of things that I, and I think we do this at every stage of life. We think everything's always going to be the way it is right now. And mm -hmm. then a bunch of stuff changes and we're not prepared for it to have happened. Like, you know, in the last few years, my kids have um, gone to university. One of them's graduating this year. Um, and one of them's halfway through for the first couple of years, it was really challenging for me to decide and to really be intentional and think about what relationship do I want to have with them as adults, right? Like who am I as a mother of, of adult children now? And how is that different? And what do they need from me? And what do, what am I mourning? that, you know, used to be my role that I thought was always going to be my role and isn't now mm -hmm. and what's available to me in the future because of that. So yeah, there's just a lot of, um, change just brings anxiety and, it, and unknown. Yeah. And I think it's time to be deliberate and spend some time thinking about what do you want those roles and relationships to yes. now look like and be, and being yes. very intentional with that. One thing that comes to mind as we're having this conversation is so many of my listeners, myself included, I, I call myself a recovering people pleaser, right? <laughs> so many of, of, of our listeners are people pleasers. And when we are in this position in life where we have a job and a career, and we also perhaps have kids or other responsibilities, we have a partner. And I know for me, like my parents are starting to get on and there's been some health concerns and that can, you know, there can be a lot of pressures, not to mention we've had COVID, we've, we've just yeah. had a cyclone in our country, right? Like there's lots going yeah. on. There's talk of recession, all the things. It's a lot. So 
I'm thinking it, I can see very easily how with all of that pressure, it can be a challenge to sleep. But what would you say to a woman in that position right now? Like, how can we be prioritizing our like physical and mental health? How can we be prioritizing our self-care when there's so much going on? What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's a, well, it's a huge question, but yeah. Um, <laughs> how do we fix it all? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? Um, a lot of what we do in my program is helping because a people pleasing is a big thing that comes up. Perfectionism, people pleasing and heavy productivity focus are three things that I see all the time. I I think in every single one of my clients ever since I became a sleep coach, um, yeah, one of the thing, one of the ways this shows up, and I'm gonna guess a lot of your audience are putting their hands up when I say this, is <laughs> it's bedtime. I'm tired, but I'm not going to bed. This is this is my time. I I need my time, and I am not going to bed until I've had it. Right. I I have one client in my brain right now who has said those exact words to me. <laughs> I'm gonna be sending her a link. So I'm going to, I'm going to steal sleep from myself Mm -hmm. so that I can have this time. It's actually called revenge bedtime procrastination. It is a thing and it's more common in women. Hang on a minute. We just need to say that again. Revenge bedtime Bedtime. procrastination. Yes. You are literally stealing sleep from yourself in order to steal back time from your day that you didn't allow for yourself earlier. Right. So when I say, I like to say sleep Aaron, well, yeah, sleep is a 24 hour process. We know, we know what, uh, I'm hoping everybody knows the term circadian rhythm. That's this Mm -hmm. sort of biological rhythm of like light and dark that guides our, um, our sleep wake cycles. Right. Um, I'm losing my train of thought. Sorry. This is a perimenopause. <laughs> I'm not going to edit this out because this is perfect. This is what happens, everybody. I've been having this for years. <laughs> but we can also it. call it perimenopause. Remind me what we were talking about. <laughs> so I was asking you about people pleasing and when there's just yes. so much going on in yes. the world and how we can We were talking about ourselves. revenge bedtime procrastination. Yes. So, um, so what we do in my program is I teach clients how to prioritize not just self-care, but like how to relax on purpose, not just at bedtime when you're thinking about sleep, but taking those like even 10, 15 minute chunks out of your day to really do some focused relaxation work. Uh, because insomnia really comes from unmanaged chronic stress. Now there are all kinds of, there are medical issues that, and, and sleep disorders that you really need medical attention for. But for most people, their insomnia is because they're not managing their stress during the day. They're not giving themselves time to unwind. They're not giving themselves time to themselves that feels valuable so that they don't end up procrastinating sleep and, and stealing time back from themselves. Right. Mm. So things like, um, tools like meditation, um, guided relaxation programs, exercise, all of this is like tapping is another one. I was going to say tapping. Yeah. Anything that really is focusing on helping you calm your nervous system so Mm. that you're not going to bed in this sort of hyper aroused state where you, you think you can just ignore all of that, push through your day, be super productive and also sleep. <laughs> just mm. they just don't really go together well, right? We really if if you're not going to manage your stress, your body's going to do it for you and it's probably going to come up at night because that's the first time that you've given yourself all day to like not have um activity, not have things going on around you, right? So it's just going to show yeah. up and be very apparent at a time that you don't want it. That makes so much sense to me because so often I see people just like, go, 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 stay busy, busy, busy all day, trying to be super productive, yeah. do all the things, please everyone. And then they get to that period, you know, at the end of the night where they want to unwind and go to sleep, 
but that's when their brain, they actually hear their brain probably for the first time noticeably in the day. And you can go into yep. that kind of fight or flight place totally. where it's very much, oh my God, I've got so much to do. I've, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. What about, I didn't do that today. And, it, and you start, you know, that kind of thing can happen. And so I love hearing you say, using some of the tools that would kind of calm or support your nervous system, the meditation, the tapping, those kinds of things that would help you to, you know, slow down regulate yeah. yeah yeah and and this is all proven sense. like this is there's a lot of science um behind this um it's it's not just sort of made up let's try it and see this is there's a mm. lot of evidence around this so you can feel quite sure that if you're going to use some of these tools it's probably going to help with your sleep um i i think what happens with most women is they hear that and they go oh well i have the calm app or whatever meditation mm -hmm, app mm -hmm. i turn it on when i go to bed but it doesn't work <laughs> you really need to be using it in the daytime <laughs> so oh, interesting once you get used to using it in the daytime you can then add it to your bedtime routine but what happens if you just use it at bedtime as a like sleep tool then you're using it in the way of that list that I gave you of things that people do that they think are going to make them sleep and then they don't. So you, yeah, you'll yeah. go, oh, I'm going to put on this meditation and it's going to make me sleep because it says it's a sleep meditation. <laughs> and then they go to bed with the intention that this meditation is going to put me to sleep, but they haven't done anything to unwind their brain before this. They've pushed through their day and fallen into bed and they think this is going to be the magic tool. And then of course it isn't because they haven't done anything to manage their stress and anxiety. So then they blame the tool for the mm. insomnia and say, well, that didn't work. And we also do the opposite of that where, you know, nobody doesn't sleep for like every single night, even the worst insomniacs, you'll not sleep well for a few nights, but then your body just crashes and catches you up because it has to, and mm -hmm. you'll suddenly sleep well. Well, people will be like, oh, I think it was those pajamas I wore that night. Those were magic pajamas. <laughs> so our brains just want to make meaning out of everything that we do. So if you had a good sleep, it's going to try to attach everything that you did that day to the good sleep. And it's going to also attach everything that you're doing to the bad sleep. So you don't want your brain associating meditation with a bad sleep. If you're, if you're also not using it at other times during the day to try and manage your your stress and calm your nervous system so you really do want to try it when you don't have that intention when you're not trying to sleep when you're when you're just going about your day and you have a free 10 minutes and we all do like everybody mm. has a 10 minute like you know we're not constantly pushing yeah. get 10 minutes at your even if it's well you, you know you finish your lunch and you're like I'm just going to take 10 minutes here yeah and then it can become a habit right over time and in doing that, that like I can see how you're setting yourself up for the success at the end of the day like you're mm -hmm. supporting yourself and your stress and all the things now yeah so that when it comes to that period in the day you've had a bit of time for yourself already right you hopefully yeah. are not as stressed because you've been you know working through that throughout the day there's not as much pressure yeah yeah I also have a tool for um, racing minds at bedtime, since you brought that up, um, mm -hmm. that I can offer to your clients if they want to go to janetwhalen.com forward slash sleep. Um, it's, it's just a one page worksheet yeah. that you do a couple hours before bed. And it's just to help you. It takes you through a couple of steps, but it's basically to help you unload everything that's in your brain so that all of that stuff isn't present. Yes. when you actually put your head on the pillow. So yeah. it's, we just want to remove all of that from bedtime. We don't want to be worrying about tomorrow. Once we get in bed, we don't want to be doing math in our heads in the middle of the night when we wake up at 3am and we're worried about how much time we have left to sleep and all of that. We don't, we want all of that out of our heads. So there's lots yeah. of ways we can do that, but um, it really does start with how you're treating yourself in the daytime. I do remember doing that. I think I was more of maybe a kid or a teenager. I would, I was so anxious, although I didn't know it was anxiety then. 
that I would wake up and look at the time and be so worried about how much sleep I was going to get before I had to get up and I would be doing the math and then I would be worried about it. And like you say, you're then all like wide awake and worried and anxious and going back to sleep is a real struggle. Yeah. I have a rule in my program. There's no math in bed. So we also don't look at our clocks on our nightstand Mm -hmm. (laughs) because if you think, and people really push back on that, they're like, but how would I know what time it is? Why do you need to know? Yes. (laughs) You only need to know if you're going to do the math, right? Like you, you really don't need to know if your alarm hasn't gone off. It means it's time to still be in bed. Yeah. And you, you really don't need to know. You can just relax and not even worry about it go back Mm -hmm. to sleep. Yeah. As soon as we start doing well, I have a big presentation tomorrow. And if I only have two hours left to sleep and now I don't feel like I can, and what if it takes me a whole hour to go back to sleep, then maybe I'll only get half an hour. Is it really worth it? Should I just get up now? Like you can even, I'm getting stressed. You're awake now. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Oh, yeah. I think so. And we all do it. It's and it's not, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you, right? This is how our brains work. This is totally totally normal brain stuff, but there's ways that we can like, I'll give you a way right now, since we're talking about hot flashes and (laughs) perimenopause. One of the things that does wake midlife women up in the middle of the night, and it's typically around three o'clock is like having a hot flash. Right. Mm -hmm. And you have a couple of choices. You can go, here we go again. This happens all the time. Why does this always happen to me? I might as well just get up. I'll probably not go back to sleep because I have my alarm set for six and you do all the math, or you can just sort of notice that that's where your brain's starting to go with it and be like, Oh, okay. I've had a hot flash that woke me up. That was real, but it's not going to last all night. In fact, they usually only last like a very short time and they kind of manage themselves away. And you can just say, okay, what's actually really happening here? Yes, I had a hot flash. I'm awake at three o'clock in the morning. It's dark outside. Other people are sleeping. There's really no other facts. (laughs) Yes. Right? Everything else your brain is doing is dramatizing the situation to make it seem like it's a problem, but it's Mm -hmm. really not. Your hot flash isn't going to last until your alarm goes off. If you're uncomfortable, you can, like I, one of the things I suggest is just, if this happens to you a lot, leave a clean pair of pajamas beside your bed, just quickly change, get back into bed. You don't have to think about all the what ifs because you're essentially creating them when you do that. None of it is a fact. It's all just worry and anxiety. And if you can just try to focus on what are the facts, then you can be like, oh, there's actually nothing wrong with any of that being awake in the middle of the night is not actually a problem. It might not be my ideal. It might not be what I really want right now, but I am awake. So I might as well learn to accept that. And then that alone will calm down your nervous system so that you can then start to pay attention to your drowsiness signals again and go to sleep. And if you're frustrated, you can always leave your bed and go somewhere else and come back when you're not right. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's all the drama and all of the the worry that turns it into chronic insomnia. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. This is so good. I feel like you have given us so many tangible things that we can go away and, and use. So is there anything you feel like we missed anything that you want to cover off before I tell everyone where they need to go to find you? Um, I think I I just touched on it briefly a second ago, but the idea of trying harder to sleep, I think we, we really need to let go of. Right. So when when you think about the list of things that I was talking about at the beginning, which are things that we try in order to make sleep better, um, we're, we're always doing these with an intention. We're trying to force sleep to come. We're trying to make something happen. Sleep mm-hmm. is like, you know, there's three pillars. There's exercise, um, food and sleep, like all humans need all of those. Right. we can kind of force the other two, but we can't force sleep. In fact, the more you try to force it, the worse it's going to get. We actually really need to learn how to let go and let things be, which is a really challenging thing for women in our society these days. We have a lot of pressures on us that we've already talked about. So I've 
um, I'm right now just becoming a certified mind mindfulness meditation teacher to bring more of that to the program as well. So this is addressing the, I mentioned, you know, people pleasing perfectionism and productivity. This is really addressing the perfectionism. So to say like, we do have to learn how to be with ourselves. We do have to learn how to allow and accept some wakefulness and some discomfort in our life. Sometimes we can't just fix everything. And the more we try to push and fix, especially with sleep, the worse we can make it. Like if you think of somebody that, you know, who's an amazing sleeper and maybe it's you and someone says to you, Oh my God, like, give me your secrets. How do you do it? What would you even say? Yeah, I definitely don't force it. <laughs> like most people would be like, I don't know. I get in bed and I go to sleep. Like I don't, yeah, I don't do anything. They have no idea what to tell you because they don't actually do anything. They just allow yeah. it to happen. They don't ever worry about it. They don't give it a second thought. And maybe they've been lucky to not have too many bouts of acute insomnia. So it never turned into a problem. Mm -hmm. But that's where we need to learn to to be unfortunately you can learn it mm -hmm. um and so yeah that's and that's what we do in my my program yes yeah, so let's tell everybody about that tell them about your program and where they can find you because they need to come find you <laughs> thank you <laughs> it's called permission to sleep uh, I named it that because I realized I was not giving myself permission to sleep and so many women really don't um, it's a membership program and, uh, it has some group coaching in it. It's got group mindfulness, um, uh, meditations. There are self-guided modules to take you through, like I call it the art and science of sleep. So the art is really around the coaching and finding your unhelpful thoughts and learning how to, how to know how your thoughts create your emotions and, you know, all of the stuff that we do in coaching, but there's also a lot of um, the science of sleep and helping people really learn. Most insomniacs have a lot of um, uh, really inaccurate thoughts about sleep, like, like the eight hour myth. Mm. We don't all need eight hours of sleep. In fact, we, through many, many, many large studies have shown that it's probably closer to seven is what most wow. healthy adults need. Um, but it, there's a range, right? Like some people might need nine, some people might need six. It, it, we really have to stop trying to like achieve this ideal. So we do a lot of that work. Um, and uh, yeah, it's all online. It's easy to, <laughs> it's easy to find. It's uh, you can go to janetwhalen.com and find more information there. But if you did want to get the Calm Your Racing Mind worksheet, it's janetwhalen.com forward slash sleep. And that will put you on my newsletter and you'll get invitations to join the program um, through there. Yeah. And we will link to all of that in the show notes as well to make it super easy to come and connect with you. And awesome. I just want to say thank you because I feel like I have got so much out of this. I feel very educated. <laughs> thank awesome. you. Um, yeah, this has been super fun. And I feel like we may need a follow-up because I still have a lot of questions, but we're at time. <laughs> well, thank you for inviting me. I love to I talk about sleep any day. Thank you, Janet. Love it. Hey, if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, then you are going to love being coached by me. We are going to solve your specific challenges and set you up with the mindset tools that you need to have your own back and do brave shit in your life. Just head over to my website, xenajones.com to sign up.